Um, we are in a series uh, in Gideon. We've just been looking at the life of, of Gideon. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to pick up where we left off. And I'm just going to get rid of this stuff. So if you have your Bible, we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6. And we're going to go from 22, verse 22, to 35. So you'll notice we're picking up a little bit of what we read last week. So verses 22 to 35. And it will all come up on the screen in front of you, which I'm standing in front of. So then Gideon perceived that, that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon has just, been meeting, has just met face to face with the angel of the Lord. You remember last week? As, he sp- as the angel comes and meets with Gideon, who is threshing wheat in the wine press. And then Gideon has this moment, he re- recognises who it was he's been speaking to. And he says this, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Recognising in that moment, he is a sinful person, sinful man. And he, and he fears for his life as he meets face to face with the holy God. And the Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abyssalites. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal. That's the foreign gods. You remember the the Israelites have had the judgment of God come on them because they have turned away from their God and pursued foreign gods Baal name of this god tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there here with stones laid in due order then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid, you remember that's a constant theme through this story with Gideon, because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down. And the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said uh, to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son, that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, will you contend, that is, fight for Baal are you going to fight on behalf of Baal or will you save him Baal whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning if he is a god let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down therefore on that day Gideon was called Jeroboam that is to say let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar now all the Midianites and the Amalekites And the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abyssalites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh. That's the smallest tribe. Remember, Gideon is the the 
smallest clan in the smallest tribe of Israelites, the smallest clan of Manasseh, the smallest tribe of Israel. He sent out and called men to follow him from across that tribe. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. So as I said, last week we began this series in um, looking at the life of Gideon. And we recognise as we come to the book of Judges that actually the book of Judges is a strange book in a lot of ways. It kind of answers, it's, it's part of history, so it comes after the people of Israel have entered into the promised lands. Uh, they've come out of slavery in Egypt, Moses leading them out of slavery, Joshua leads them into the promised lands. And then after Joshua's death, there is, there's no king in Israel and, they, and there is just, what, what does it look like? And so you have these, this, this story of this interim time before a king is introduced to the people of Israel. You have these people who are ungoverned, except that they have elders in their clans. And what happens is they begin to turn away from the God who rescued them. And so you, in, throughout the book of Judges, you have this, this pattern. You remember we said last week of the people turned away from God and God gave them into the hands of their enemies. And then the people cry out to God, Lord, rescue us. And, they, and then the Lord raises up a judge, somebody to, to fight for Israel, to, to fight against their enemies. And so you see this pattern of Israel in peace. They turn away from God. They, they fall into the consequences of turning away from God. They cry out to God and then they, God raises up a judge to rescue them. And then this phrase comes up again and again throughout the book. The land had peace for 40 years or the land had peace for a generation. But then the cycle just starts all over again. And throughout the book of Judges, you're just taken on this cycle of frustration of, oh, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the time. And then the book of Judges ends, ends with this quote, this line, there, there was... Uh, everybody did what was right in their eyes. There was no king amongst them. And you're almost left thinking, oh, maybe, maybe when a king comes, that will solve all the problems. And then you go carry on into the history of Israel and you realise very quickly, no, that, that's not the solution. Because the king's coming. At the first it looks like, oh, this is it. The problems have all been solved. And then you realise again, the kings fall into the same trap of, a good, there was a good king who led them into God. There was a bad king and he took them away. And there was this ongoing cycle of frustration. You remember we said that it's only in Jesus that that cycle is broken. It is only in Jesus who comes fully and finally to judge and restore and rescue the people of God that those, that cycle of frustration is ended. And we know that that's true in our own lives too. We live just this, this frustrating cycle of, I think I've got everything right. I think I've, I've sorted my life out finally and then boom, the solutions are only every temporary. And it's only Jesus who can resolve that. It's only Jesus who can bring that full and final thing. We also saw how God, last week, we saw how God disciplines those he loves. He, God is able to use even the, the great evils of the world to shape and discipline his people. And we know that. We've felt that. We've seen it in the New Testament as we've, we've looked at that ourselves. And we, we know in our own lives how God is, willing, is, is at work in us to perfect us and to shape us and to draw us nearer to, our, to himself. Even in our pain, we know the one, that wonderful promise that even those most painful moments in our life are working good for us because we are called according to his promises and he loves us and we love him. That wonderful promise. So you, hold, you point at the worst thing that's happening in your life at the moment. You say, God means that for good for me. And we can, we can believe that. And we, we looked last week at this, the beginning of that story that we've just picked up from here where Gideon 
Uh, timid little Gideon in the wine press, threshing wheat, hiding away from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Mighty man of valor, mighty man of valor. Here he is, timid, the least of the least, hiding and fearful. And we see again, as we'll see this week, and we see um, as we continue, t- uh, Gideon's bias towards timidity. And yet God seeks to him and says, Mighty man of valor. He's not seeing potential. He's not speaking into a potential. He's speaking into what I'm going to put in there. This is not. And God is the one who, by speaking, mighty, mighty man of valor, makes Gideon thus. You know, we've just been singing, I am who, he, who you say I am. That's not, that's not because I was confused and then God came and brought some clarity. That's, there's, there's truth in that and that's what the gospel is. But there's a, we become what God says we are because he says we are. We become children of God because he says, you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter. And that's the thing that transforms us. And that's what happens in, in Gideon. We see that transformation in Gideon as he encounters the living God. And, that, and wonderfully in that moment, Gideon, and we see in, this, in the story even as we pick it up, Gideon's moment of fear as he recognises, I have been confronted by the holy God and I am a sinful man. God comes and says, peace, I am for you. Peace, I am for you. And we said, remember, that that was the great victory. Nothing, it doesn't look like anything else has changed at that point. It doesn't look like anything else has changed. The Midianites are still taking what they want to take. They're still attacking where they want to attack. They look like they still have victory over Israel. And yet the real problem, as we'll see again as we come through this story, has always been, it's never been the Midianites. It's always been the people's relationship with God. That was the issue. And that's what God wanted to solve. And so when God comes and says, peace, I, like in the middle of war, as the, as the raiders are still out there and they're amassing across the Jordan. Peace. Peace. You have peace with me. You have peace with me. I'm for you, as we've been singing as well. Now, in this story, we kind of see Gideon builds two altars. So he, he has his encounter with God. He has his encounter with God and he builds the one altar where he encountered God and he met with God and, she said, and God said to him, peace, I'm for you. And so Gideon builds an altar there that declares the peace of God, that God comes with peace for his people. Hey, I'm not, I'm not your enemy anymore. I'm for you. Again, we've been singing that. He's, he's for me. He's not against me. And, and that is what the, that altar declares. And yet, his second altar is a declaration of war against anything else that might intrude upon the central place that God has in the heart of Israel and the heart of his people. One altar declares peace with, between man and God and the other altar declares war on anything that might try and supplant God, that might make claim on the things that are rightfully God's. He, he by building this altar, and we'll see more as we go, but he builds this altar and he makes, he makes a declaration against any false god, any false idol, any, any false hope in anywhere else. And it's interesting because we see that in Jesus. Jesus comes and he says, you know, and, and he's declared to us as being the Prince of Peace. And we have that reading at Christmas. Prince of Peace. And Jesus, that's true. Jesus is Prince of Peace. And yet he's also able to say to his followers, he says this to the 12 disciples as he sends them out. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace. Hang on, Jesus, you're the 
Prince of Peace, you've just been talking to us on the Sermon on the Mount about blessed is the peacemaker. What, what are you talking about? Now, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. I just, what are you, what are you talking about? And I think what he's talking about, we see very clearly in the, the story in Gideon. Actually, there's a, there, is, there is a declaration of war against anything that does not put God central. There is a declaration of war against anything that would uh, put God central. And it means that whilst we declare the peace of God for man, peace on earth, good news to all, right? We, we sing that again at Christmas. And that's true. There is anybody who does not receive that suddenly finds themselves confronted with the God who says, I will have center stage and I will have the center of your heart. And, I, and there will be no other gods beside me. That's what he says. And so it's hard to hear, but we see it here in this story. This altar that, that Gideon builds to God displaces and destroys every other. Right? There is... The worship of God does not allow for any other worship. The worship of God does not allow for any other worship. You cannot have the altar of Baal and the altar of the Lord next to one another. They cannot coexist. In fact, the altar of Baal has to be destroyed to see the Lord's altar built. Jesus comes and he says similar things, similar challenging things. And he can, actually, one of the things he really guns for is money. You cannot love God and money. You can't. You, you just can't. One will be your master and one will be your enemy. One, will, one will, uh, you will love and one you will hate. If you love money, you'll hate God. And you can't have anything but the hatred for money with, uh, 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 if you love God. That is, God, Jesus there in that moment, recognising that one of the things, you know, money being one of those key things that, that can so quickly become an idol to us, so quickly become, take centre of our heart. This is what I need to be comfortable. This is what I need to be secure. This is what I need to, uh, uh, to be happy. All those promises that money makes to you. It might be money for you. It might be something else. But these things, that, that the promises that money makes, are all the promises that only God can fulfil. You want to be happy? Have me. You want to be secure? Have me. You want to be, uh, you want to live a fulfilled life? Have me. And actually, it's only true of God. It's not true of me. So Jesus really guns for it. You cannot, you cannot worship two gods. Sometimes we go after, you know, and I, I don't know what I need to highlight to you to, to, to prick you with this truth, but we you know we could pursue comfort as our main ambition or, or family or relationships or um, status in any given community, even in the church. You know, some people would, would rather have a platform in the church than God. <laughs> and it's scary. And it's scary. And so something that, and even some of these things are good, right? Family is good. All of these things, they, they are good. But, but as soon as they try to creep in on what is God's, they become evil and out of place. And so the altar of God will not coexist with any other God of your own creation. Whatever it might be, those things that you live for, those things that come into your mind as you're, as you're doing nothing, those pet thoughts that you think, oh, I can't wait to go and do that. Or, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I had that? Then I would be happy. Right? Those, those things that creep into your, your life, 
or that push God to a place of, okay, on Sunday, I was going to say Sunday morning, Sunday afternoons I go to Freedom Church and I enjoy whatever it might be, the worship, the preaching, the fellowship. If anything just would reduce God and your relationship with God to that, it, is an, it has become an idol. It has become a false God. And it must be destroyed to make way for the true worship of God. Who takes centre stage. He says, I will have the centre of your heart. We need to hear this and feel the full weight of it. And there is real challenge there for us. The real challenge there for us. And even as I'm talking, I, I know that there will be things that, that are going on in, in heads and hearts. And even as I've been preparing, I, I know that that's been going on in me. As, as God's been putting a finger on something and saying, you know, that, that can't exist Whilst you're singing these songs, that, that can't exist in your life. Well, that's got to make way for me. Let me into that place. Let me take centre stage there in your life. Let it, let it come out. So as I say, there's real challenge there for us. And in many ways, in this story, so again, Israel, uh, we've not seen the battle. We've not seen the enemies of Israel defeated. Uh, we've seen God come and meet with Gideon. And we've seen... Gideon tear down an altar and build another one. It's like the, the big battle is still ahead for Gideon, surely. But actually, as you read the story, you realize this is, this is the center point. This is the, the real battle for the heart of Israel. It's not with the enemies. It's not with the Midianites. That's, that's a periphery thing, right? The, the, those foreign armies, that's, that's, that's next to nothing compared with the battle of, of the heart of Israel and the heart of worship. This is the thing that God has come to solve. The real issue is, has never been the Midianites, but has been a turning away from God. Remember, the Midianites are just a symptom of the real thing. The people turn away from God, and so God gives them over to the consequences of that, which is this invading army. And now God is dealing not just with the surface stuff, which is what the people of Israel have asked for God's help with. They say, Lord, help us, help us, our enemies are attacking us. And God sends the prophet, you remember we said last week, God sends the prophet to the people of Israel and says, actually, the issue isn't the Midianites, the issue is you. The issue isn't your enemies, the issue is that you've turned away. And so this, this battle, where, who, where are you going to worship? Who are you going to worship? That is the heart of this story of Gideon, is what is going to happen there. And so what this, this is what we see, um, as I say, the... This, not the battle with the invading Midianites that we're going to see next week, we're going to look at next week, is the centre point of this story. And just like the Midianites are kind of a, a symptom, as, you, as I say, of, of the fall of Israel away from God and away from his love and away, turning away from him, rejecting him, we live in a fallen world, don't we? We know that the pain and the, the, the hurt and the sicknesses of a, living in a fallen world. And... All of those things, those pains, those sickness and death, poverty, hunger, war, natural disasters, they are symptoms. They're not the real issues. Right? We, we can afford help us with this, help me with my sickness. Those aren't the real issues. The real issue, the real problem facing the world today is that we turned away from God. We turned away from God. And that's the thing that God wants to deal with. Now, God cares about these things. He cares about sickness and death and hunger and poverty and war and natural disasters and you can't flick through the bible for a moment without seeing that he loved, he he cares about these things he he really cares about these things but they are just the surface 
They are the surface symptoms of a deep-rooted sickness. And so just to deal with those things would be like giving painkillers to somebody with stomach cancer or something. the, the, The real issue, the thing that's going to kill you, isn't being dealt with. And that is what God is dealing with here in Israel. And it's what God deals with in us. That's what he wants to deal with. Not just surface symptoms, but the deeper issue. Each of us have turned away from God. The source of all goodness and life. And so when God comes and says, I will take centre stage in your heart, it's not just a, it's not God being selfish, it's God saying, I'm, I am the reason you, everything is going wrong for you is because you've turned away from me, the source of all goodness, the source of all life. You've turned away from me. And so it, the, the gospel is, the, and the reason why we do preach as gospel and as good news is because the one who is the source of all goodness, the one who is the source of all life, the things that we've been singing about, He has come and he said, I'm here for you to have access to. You've turned away from me, but now I've made a way for you to come back. In my son, Jesus. Nowhere else, but in my son. You can have access to to me and my goodness. And and those surface level things, hey, one day every, every tear will be wiped away. But not trivially, but because because Jesus has come and made a way. He's come and he's made a way. And so, this work of tearing down idols, of fighting and contending for the heart of Israel, is necessary. It's not just part of the story, it is necessary for everything that's coming ahead. You can, like, the, the symptoms can't be dealt with apart from the, the deeper issue. And so, as I say, this, this, this is the, the real battle. The real battle is for the heart of Israel. But as I say, it's also necessary uh, for the battle that is ahead for Gideon. Now, Gideon is going to fight battles. He is going to make war against the Midianites. He is going to uh, set the people of Israel free, as God promised over, Israel, over uh, Gideon. You, as one man, will, will, will free, will, will set my people free. That is going to happen. But in order for that to happen, Israel must turn back to God. This is necessary. Because and particularly as we go forward and we see the story of how God uses Gideon to set the people free from the Midianites, you realise that whole thing depends heavily on faith in God. It depends on faith in God. Now, you can't, you can't trust God. You can't walk with God. You can't move in the way that God has called you to move in the faith that he's going to call Gideon to and the way that he's going to call, he calls us as Freedom Church to. You can't do that if you are worshipping other gods. Things that obscure, obstruct your view of him. And, and obstruct your faith. You can't follow him. You can't trust him. You can't believe in him. In, and, and so I just, I, I think there's something here for us, right? There are, we know God has called us. I want to talk to us as Freedom Church. I also want to talk to us as individuals, but I want to talk to us as Freedom Church. There are things that God has called us to that are, that are big things, right? Gideon's a small man from a small place, small family, called to a big work. And we can say at Freedom Church, the same is true of us. We have a small group of people in North Hull, but God has called us to a mighty work. In order for God to do that, we need to make sure that he is taking centre place in our heart, as Freedom Church, communally, together, that there's nothing else in, in our sights but him and his glory. And we don't want to build a big brand here. We don't want to build, build a, a big professional-looking thing. That's, that's not what we're going for. We're going for the gospel of the glory of God that makes his name known, that makes Jesus famous, that sets people free. That's what we want. 
And that's what we're called to. And we know that for that to happen, we need to lean on him. We need to trust in him. We can't trust in money. We can't trust in gifts, however big and flashy our gifts might be. We have to lean on him, heavily on him. And so everything else has to come down. Everything else has to come down. And for us individually, that's true. God has called you to wonderful things. You read scripture, you realize, I've been called to wonderful things. In order to walk in those wonderful things, you must put God first in your life. You must put God first in your life. All other idols must come down. We see again, Gideon frightens, just as he was in the the wine press. Too scared to do what God has asked him to do, this verse 27, uh, in the day. I don't want to be seen taking down these idols because I know that we'll come across opposition we know that as we follow what God is calling us to we come across opposition in our own lives and in the world around us Gideon is frightened as we saw but we see God's wonderful provision as we see right the way through the story God provides wonderfully for Gideon's weakness you remember uh, the Lord said to Gideon last week he said last week he said to him and it, just the, the passage that we read last week he says Go in this might that you have. And that, you know, I said last week, that's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing. Right? Go in the might that you have. Like, like knowing that you're weak, knowing that you're scared, knowing that you're foolish. Go with whatever strength you have, and I will use your weakness to do mighty works. Remember we pointed again to Paul as he writes to the Corinthians. He says, you know, God has used the foolish things and the weak things to shame the wise and the strong. He loves to use weak and foolish people like us to do mighty, mighty things. And so even Gideon, as he, he timidly, he's like, I'm going to be obedient, but I, I don't want to do it in front of everybody. I don't want to be seen. And even still, God uses it mightily to start a fire in Israel of faith in God. And people turn back to him. Now, as I say, there is opposition, there is obstacle, and there is opposition. You know, you see it immediately. You know, um, verses 28 onwards, there is, a, there is opposition that comes to Gideon's action. You know, the world doesn't mind. Israel doesn't mind. The people don't mind that, Israel's, that Gideon has built another altar. Oh, that's okay, great. That's nice that you've built an altar to the Lord. That's okay, we'll, we'll make space for that. The people start to care when it begins to intrude on other things. Right? They don't mind us gathering here and quietly getting on with what we want to get on with. They start to mind when we declare Christ as the only way. When we declare him as, as, as the one that sinners need to cling to in order to be saved. Nobody minds Gideon's altar, first altar. They cannot ignore his second one. Nobody minds his first Oh, it's, oh that's nice you've built another altar. Okay, who's it for? Who's this one for? Oh, it's for the Lord. Okay, great. They wake up the next morning and the altar that they go to worship at has been destroyed. And there is opposition. Opposition comes when God becomes central and disrupts and displaces other things. They say Gideon's first altar is not opposed. His second one is built on the rubble and the ashes of the, the, false, the altar to the false god. It cannot be ignored and it demands a response. Either you will come and worship at the altar of the Lord... Or you will oppose him and his people. And that seems to be what happens. Right? There, there seems to be a, 
this kind of catalyst moment, this moment that seems to trigger both of those responses. Gideon's father, whose altar it was that was destroyed, suddenly seems to be awakened either by Gideon's actions or by the opposition to his son. His, his eyes are opened to suddenly realise this is, you know, if, if Baal is a God, he says he kind of mockingly of Baal, he suddenly he recognises, no, the Lord is the Lord. And, and so there's, just, there's something there for us to recognise that I think, Let's not be afraid of opposition because sometimes it will be the very thing that opens people's eyes to see the truth of the gospel. We, we don't seek controversy, but sometimes it will be the very thing that opens someone's eyes to see the truth of the gospel. As it seems to happen in Gideon's father, Joash. It's his altar that gets torn down. And in that moment, he wakes up like everybody else and he sees it's destroyed. Something happens in his heart that recognises that's what should have happened. Because that was no altar to no God. There is, there is now an altar to the God, the Lord. And he defends his son. And as I say, the other, op- the other thing is triggered as well. Opposition comes. And perhaps, uh, as I say, you know, it doesn't say this in, in, the pas- in the passage that we've read, but I kind of imagine that, that this, as, as Gideon sounds the trumpet and messengers go out across Israel, this sort of action that happened in the dead of night in a small corner of Israel is replicated right across the country as people realise that this faith spreads. The altars have to come down and we have to turn to the Lord. And as I say, it spreads like fire. Now we, we have to know that we, we face obstacles and opposition as well, just as Gideon did in our lives as we tear down altars, as we make way for for God, the true worship of God to take centre stage, we cannot think that those things that we are tearing down will go quietly uh, away. That the, the, uh, we have an enemy who's working against us and he will, not, he will not silently sit by as land he has fought for in your heart is taken back. He, he will fight back. He will fight back. We need to be aware of that. The enemy will not give up ground easily that he's taken in your heart. And even now, I'm aware, as I'm preaching to you, there will be things that will be whispered in your ear and will be fluttering through your head of, he's not talking about that. Or he's not talking about you. You need to hear the challenge of God. And you need to be strengthened. You know, as, it, as, Gideon's, as the Lord comes to Gideon and says, mighty man of valour, mighty woman of valour. You need to be strengthened in the Lord as we take on these things. Because they will fight back. They will fight back. Wonderfully, we belong to a community that, that fights alongside one another. And so if there are things, I just, this isn't, but if there are things that, that come up, do grab somebody and be prayed for and let them walk alongside you as you fight the battle of your heart for, to put God at centre of all things. There'll be, as I say, the opposition in our own lives as we tear down false altars, but also there will be opposition from outside, as Gideon felt. You know, you look through the New Testament and you realise, wow, these guys who preach the gospel have opposition. And Paul, in fact, promises it to all Christians. He says, hey, look, you, you, it's been granted to you, not only to believe, this is to the Philippians, but also to suffer for the sake of the name of Christ. It, it is, it is in, it's very much in the gospel. To, be, to belong to Christ is to reject the world. And so you will find opposition from outside. Now, in some parts of the world, like here, 
that means being laughed at. Actually, more recently, Christians now are being thought of as being not just silly, but immoral. It is morally wrong to be a Christian nowadays. But in other parts of the world, you could die for preaching what we preach. And, and that is the normal. You know, where Christians aren't killed, they're mocked. You know, where if you feel like, oh, I don't want to be made fun of because of my faith. There are places that we could talk about where people are imprisoned and killed. Friends of ours. Family who we very much belong to. Engaged in the same struggle that we're stuck in. Where's opposition comes from preaching the gospel. It's good news. But the people who cling to false altars, they don't like it. They don't like it. And they will fight us on it. As we call people to true worship. And we've got to know that that's, that's there for us. As much as we're called to great things in North Hall, that's there for us as well. There's going to be some pushback. There's going to be opposition. And we need to be able to cling to God. Remember, even again, that um, as he sends out the 12, uh, Matthew chapter 10, that passage that I read before, he goes on to say, don't be afraid because I'm with you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. I'm with you. And so, just as God has been able to say to Gideon at the start of his encounter with him, he says, don't be afraid, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valour. The same is said to us. God says the same to us. Our greatest enemy... This is, is in, in this story. Israel's greatest enemy was not the Midianites, it was God, because they turned away from him. And their greatest enemy comes to them and says, I'm for you, do not be afraid. God has said that to us. God has said that to us. He was the one that we should have been afraid of, not any sickness or money trouble or anything else. He was the one. And he comes to us and he says, I am for you, not against you. So we've sung. I'm for you, not against you. And Paul writes to the, the Romans, doesn't he? Uh, Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And there is an immediate call on Gideon and an immediate call on us to step out in that, trusting him, trusting in God. Just finally, quickly... We see at the end of the story, Gideon's father comes out to defend his son against the crowds. He comes out, he intervenes. Verse 31. Will you contend for Baal? Will you? He comes and he's, there is Gideon, his youngest son, crowds gnashing their teeth against him, ready to kill him in judgment for what he's done. And his father steps in front of him and, and turns the crowds away. In fact, that may well be the, one of the moments that people begin to turn to look to Gideon as a leader, not as a criminal. And the, his father intervenes. It kind of points ahead to a day when one day the crowds will call out for justice for an angry God and the father will give up his son to the crowds and to the judgment of God freely and the son will go freely and take that judgment on himself and we see that in Jesus we see that in Jesus the, the father gives up the son to the angry crowds and the angry God and he goes himself to the altar and his, and his body is broken and his blood is poured out 
And a way is made for peace to be declared between man and God. Because justice has been done. The son will willingly place his life on the altar to bring peace with God. But here, as I say, the father steps in between the crowds and his son. And Gideon is given a new name. Gideon is given a new name. Which is something like, he's called um, Jerobal, which kind of means something like, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. <laughs> if, like, come on, let, come on, Baal, then. Come at me. And it could be used, it's interesting, this name could be used in mockery of Baal or as a judgment against Gideon. Are you hear that? It's either a mockery of Baal. Go on then, Baal. Let's see your work. If you're a real God, strike me down. And Gideon is given that name. But others use that name of Gideon as a curse. Strike him down. Judgment of, of Baal on him. As Christians, we're given a new name. Even, I mean, even that name of Christians is given at first as a, as a in mockery of what we are. Christians. Follow that Christ. And yet we wear it with pride. Yes, I belong to him. Yes, I belong to him. You know, he gives you a new name. He gives you a new name. As he calls you into his purposes, as you tear down all the idols and you turn to him, he gives you a new name, a new purpose, a new calling, a new title. Just my dad would say, a child of God. I'm a child of God. I was, I was all sorts of other things. Now, I'm a child of God. And so we're not called, let Baal contend against him. We're called... The Lord fights for me. The Lord fights for me. Wonderfully. And as I said, but as Paul says to Romans, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Who can stand against us? I just want to finish there, but, but I wonder if you'd stand with me. I'm just going to pray, and then um, maybe invite these guys to come and lead us in one more song. There's a few things there, and I, I, and I really hope... I really hope we hear all of that. Um, you know, God, there is a call there, but you remember, even before, you know, God, God doesn't say, tear down your idols and I will be for you. He has already said to Gideon, I'm for you, and I'm going to save Israel. The first thing I'm going to do is help you to tear down these idols. And so we mustn't hear these things and, and rush to judge ourselves. You know, there's one of the other weapons of the enemy, as well as leading us to worship other things, he'll, he'll accuse us. We mustn't hear these things and think, oh, this is God attacking me. This is God helping you. This is the work of God to, to build you into who he wants to build you. He's going to come and he's going to help you tear down false idols in your life. So I just, I just, I, there's just three things I want us to, to respond to there. Maybe there are false idols that need to come down maybe there are things that, that, that you know even as I've been speaking just need to, to just you, maybe you need to make some drastic decisions that cannot enter my life anymore maybe there are some drastic decisions to be made with how you spend your time or the people that you give your time to or where your money goes or your attitudes towards money or whatever it might be there are some drastic decisions to be made, things to be torn down, and new idol, new altars of worship to be built in their place. Maybe there's people who are feeling 
the opposition of that already. And God says, strength, peace, I'm with you. And finally, we're to walk in that, the, all the glory of the new name that we've been given, that God has given us. You're a child of God. If there is anything that's, that struck you and stuck with you, grab somebody. Please don't leave without grabbing somebody and asking for prayer. I'm going to hand over to these guys. I'm going to go into one last song and then... Come on, Neil. Come on.